Good evening and welcome to another edition of the Essential Sports Podcast. My name's Mark Dory, with me is Chris Butland. Good evening. Chris, we've got an action-packed uh, episode tonight, as, as always. Yeah, lots and lots to get through. Uh, we'll be kicking off with a quick look back at our predictions from last week's show. Uh, we'll be looking at an extraordinary week uh, in the transfer market, especially uh, the, the transfer window deadline day. Indeed, and that was followed up by some excellent midweek action where our two beloved uh, Premier League clubs came to blows, almost literally. (laughs) We'll be uh, reflecting on uh, some of the other midweek games. Uh, Obviously, uh, Liverpool and uh, and Chelsea both both played midweek as well. Uh, And also looking ahead to the Super Bowl, which takes place this Sunday, which I know you're very excited about. Yeah, can't wait for that. Um, And then, of course, we've got the Six Nations to look forward to. And and then we'll be rounding off as usual with our plays of the week and also making some predictions for next week's games and sporting action. So uh, talking of those predictions then, Chris, let's start off with uh, one of my predictions, which was in the FA Cup. Uh, I predicted correctly that Crawley Town would progress through to the next round. And what a brave prediction that was, Mark. Uh, Crawley Town of non-league facing uh, the mighty League 2 Torquay. Um, and, and, you know, really, Crawley Town had very little chance going into this game, given that they spent in one summer uh, last year on transfers what the whole of League 2 spent put together. They are, in essence, <laughs> a professional non-league outfit. Well, they keep getting referred to as the Man City of non-league, so I, th- I think, yeah, we maybe shouldn't be all that surprised that they uh, they beat Torquay, but they're... Um, they did draw 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 nil nil with Kettering Town tonight, though, so they failed <laughs> to go top of the league. Uh, I mean, back down to earth for the bump, but of course they're uh, they'll have one eye or, or half an eye, as you said last week, Mark, on a, a, a fifth round tie with Manchester United, which is an absolute dream. It couldn't have uh, been pulled out of the bag any better for them, could it? Really, that's, no, that's what you want great. to go to Old Trafford, uh, a Glaswegian manager against a, a slightly. Uh, Better known, slightly, slightly better known. One, one with a slightly shorter criminal record as well, <laughs> Alex Ferguson. But yeah, um, it'll be interesting to see how uh, how Crawley get on. Um, obviously, that's uh, the first obviously, obviously of the night. By the way, yeah, uh, they'll be uh, heavy underdogs despite the the money they've spent. But it'll be a big day out for them, and we'll look forward to that one. And they'll be looking for that dream quarter-final tie against Brighton, won't they? <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting to see if uh, Brighton go go much further. They're going great guns in in League One, um, so let's see let's see how uh, how these lower league teams get through. But yeah, so that was the one prediction I think that either of us got right uh, last week. Your other big prediction, very bold prediction, was mm. Andy Murray to win the Australian Open. And right up until the final, it was looking. Really, quite a, a good prediction, wasn't it? Well, Federer and Nadal got knocked out, and Murray was was through to the final against Djokovic. But I really wish I'd said on air what I'd said to my uh, my good friend um, Pete White the night before um, when I, I told him very confidently that Djokovic would storm it in straight sets, and that was of course what happened. But I didn't make it on air, unfortunately. No, and I unfortunately wrote a blog. Uh, detailing why Murray would win the Australian <laughs> Open, which made me look a little bit stupid come, uh, well, you know, it was straight from the off, and for, Murray was just not at the races, was he? He just was second, playing second fiddle to Well, the, to the, the first set was pretty tight, and we'll, we'll come to that in our plays of the week later. There was some really brutal tennis going on, but um, once Djokovic got that first set in the bag, you kind of felt that it was only going to be one winner, unfortunately. And uh, Murray, Murray said in an interview, I think on Monday or Tuesday, he might, he might never win a major, which is a bit, a bit defeatist. But it's kind of uh, Colin Montgomery, Montgomery on it. Yeah, at least, at least he's being honest. I mean, he, he's obviously near the top of his profession, but he just hasn't quite got that uh, that elusive uh, major title. Well, maybe one, maybe one tournament will come where 
all of the top 10 get injured apart from him and he might just sneak one. <laughs> yeah, I was speaking in the week to uh, some sports psychologists up at Leeds Met and uh, they were saying, obviously, at this top level of sport, the uh, the mental approach to a game is, is you know, almost more important than physical, uh, um, you know, fitness or even even skill because there's so little to choose between those top players that it really does come, come down to how they mentally deal with the pressure, how they put that pressure back on their opponents. And, yeah. and Murray, unfortunately, looked at a broken man halfway yeah. through that match. I think it comes down to little things as well. I mean, obviously, we, we only ever play amateur sport, Mark, but I always find them, I've, I play or manage a lot better when I've had a couple of poos before a game. Maybe Murray just needs to take a, a leaf out of my book, maybe. More comfort breaks needed for Murray. <laughs> moving I, I don't know where that came from. Anyway, as, as for my on. predictions, we'll just, just quickly blast through them. Um, mine were both FA Cup related, and I'm both wrong, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> I went for Everton to beat Chelsea, and I wasn't far off with that. Um, we After an hour, you were looking Yeah, we, looking played, we played very, very well, and, and we, we really deserved a win, I thought. Um, we went a goal in front, thanks to Luis Zahara's finally hitting some form. And Chelsea really didn't look like scoring, and they ended up getting a goal from our corner. A yeah. quick breakaway attack, and Salomon Kalou put it away. So that that was a draw. Um, we go to Chelsea on February the 19th, I believe, for the replay. And obviously, obviously we'll obviously. be uh, heavy underdogs for that, but you never know. And my other one, I think, was for Coventry to go and beat Birmingham. That was an FA Cup match, obviously. again. Yeah, I thought I thought Coventry might. Uh, I thought Birmingham might have a bit of a hangover from getting to the League Cup final, and Coventry stormed into a two 0 lead away from home, and I, I was feeling quite smug. Mm. But uh, they're pegged back. Yeah, all credit to, to Birmingham who, who fought back and got a three two win there. So uh, a one out of four success rate. Yeah, not great this both. week, but uh, good fun, and, and we were close on a few. I mean, when you made your Murray prediction, he was only in the semis and. Uh, both my predictions, my teams were ahead, but uh, it wasn't to be. But coming on to the uh, the big story of uh, of the week, really, which I know we touched upon this a couple of pods ago when we talked about the transfer window, and we yeah. we gave some predictions as to what we thought might happen. Well, well, yeah, those those people who listened to our last show will remember just at the very end of the show, uh, we were watching Sky Sports News, and uh, the the news came through that Chelsea had made a bid and it had been rejected for Fernando Torres. But obviously that story went and developed um, massively over the next couple of days. That was a Thursday night. And by Monday, uh, Torres had submitted a transfer request and we were just waiting to see what would happen on Monday. He was still a Liverpool player Monday morning. He was still a Liverpool player Monday afternoon as it happened. Um, But eventually it all kicked off and Liverpool, um, it seems, according to Guillaume Balaguer, the the Spanish football journalist who was a Liverpool fan, Liverpool basically resigned themselves to, to Torres leaving on the proviso that they could get uh, a replacement lined up. Yeah, and what a surprise that replacement was. Yeah, I mean, obviously over the weekend there were certain rumours during the rounds that uh, Chelsea might offer Anelka in a part mm. exchange deal, uh, forty million plus Anelka. Yeah, but from Anelka's perspective, I can't see why he would want to go to Liverpool when he's enjoying London life. He's yeah. Champions League uh, football, and that would have had very little long term benefit for Liverpool. Anelka is thirty two. He's renowned for being a bit sulky, um, <laughs> and it might have been a good short term option. But you know, the, to get an extra ten million and a younger player, you could, you could see why Liverpool didn't go for that. But uh, in the end, as you said, an, an outrageous uh, transfer fee, uh, £35 million for Andy Carroll. Andy Carroll. Have I, we ever seen anything like it? It's it's brave, but put it that way. I mean, he's looked good in the Premier League this season, but last season he wasn't even in the top five top goal scorers in the Championship. Um, he's scored 34 career goals, 
uh, for Newcastle, and he's been sold for thirty-five million. He's played seventy minutes for England, though, Chris. Yeah, and he's got he's got pedigree. Um, he's got you know he's got that something about him which people are people have been surprised by him this season. He's um, clearly a very uh, tall and physical player. Gets on the end of crosses really well. Um, it probably changed Liverpool's playing style a bit. Um, you know, you're not going to get the ball up to Andy Carroll and see him run at players the way Torres did. No. You're going to get it to his head. Um, and Suarez, the other deadline day signing, will uh, will try and run off him, I imagine. Um, it, it is a huge gamble. Clearly, clearly a vastly uh, inflated price, which they wouldn't have paid in the summer. It makes Darren Bent's transfer, transfer look an, exactly. an absolute steal, doesn't exactly. it? Exactly, and... The pressure, you know, as much as Carroll says, you know, the the price tag won't weigh down, weigh down on him. Um, I think it will. If he doesn't score for five or six games, then. Mm. Uh... And the other thing is, and this was pointing out somewhere else I was listening to the other day, um, Andy Carroll can't play till March. Um, why could, you know, for the sake of someone they're going to get maybe 10 games out of this season, could they not have waited till the summer? Yeah. And uh, maybe loan someone. And and signed him for a lot cheaper in the summer, but I think my theory on that, Chris, is that obviously if Torres has left, then other quality players, well, quality player in Gerrard mm. is probably thinking, oh, you know, do I want to be around here in the summer? And mm. and the club and the owners had to make a real a statement. bold statement. Yeah. And like you said, vastly over inflated price for Carroll, but actually, uh, I think they got a very good deal on selling Torres for fifty million. Yeah, if you had said two years ago when Ronaldo had just gone for 80 million mm. Torres for 50 million that would have seemed a bargain but he's been inconsistent over the last couple of years and actually for for uh, Liverpool to to get that money uh, back meant that they were perhaps able to spend that extra 15 million on Carroll yeah. without too much b- bother Yeah really. fair point actually and if you look at it they signed Torres for 24 so they've more than doubled the money Yeah so in that respect it is a good deal for Liverpool um I just didn't expect to see them spend so much of that on someone like Carroll I'm, no. if you know I've got a lot of uh, Liverpool sporting friends and they were in shock, to be honest, that <laughs> they would spend that much on Andy Carroll. Um, to, a couple of them were horrified that they were signing Andy Carroll at all. Yeah. When thirty, you know, when their first bit of £30 million was turned down, they, <laughs> they actually breathed a huge sigh of relief and said, you know, Newcastle have done us a massive favour there because yeah. that is stupid money, yeah. only for Liverpool to raise the stakes. So, well, you know, we'll have to see how that one carries, uh, bears out over the rest of the season. Suarez was the other one Liverpool did sign, and uh, he, uh, he, I think he will be a good signer. I think they could work together, couldn't they? I think that's the mm. idea that they've bought them as a pair, uh, that they can, you know, offer something different. Torres was playing up front on his own for a lot of this season, uh, and you know they've looked distinctly average. Obviously, they've now won. Is it three games? In a yeah, row, three in the midweek game. Yeah, we'll talk about that shortly. Yeah, they've, but they've got a little bit of a head of steam up here. So that was the big uh, signing for Liverpool. Um, coming just back to Chelsea, obviously they, they banked Torres, but they also got themselves a, a world-class defender as well. Yeah, David Luiz, a uh, Brazilian guy, played uh, for Benfica. I think that's a superb sign. I've seen him play a bit. Um, he's very, very capable. He can play full-back as well if needs be. Um, and he's young and he's hungry, and I think long-term that'll be a very good deal for Chelsea. And he's got great hair. Brilliant hair. A bit like Col- think, uh, think Colaccini yeah. meets or Sideshow Bob. Bob yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think the other thing with that is that it allows Ivanovic perhaps to play at right back mm. um, and, and Lewis to come in the middle, which probably shores up their defence a bit as well. Yeah, and they've still got Alex as well to come back from injury, so that does make them just that little bit stronger at the back. You know, There's been times this season where they've ended up with Paolo Freire at centre-back or SEN, and that's not good enough really for, yeah. for someone like Chelsea. Yeah. Um, 
The other story, obviously, of the week uh, in terms of the transfer deadline was uh, Blackpool. Yeah, the one that got away, really, Charlie Adam. Uh, he Another one who handed in a transfer request, and I think the one player who handed in a request and didn't get a move in the end. Mm. Um, Even though his manager was due to, to get a, a good a uh, cut of it, bonus yeah. of any transfer fee. Um, so Liverpool wanted him. Spurs, it emerged, put in a late bid. In. As they always do. Spurs just were on some sort of random mission to just splurge <laughs> as much cash as they could randomly. There was a, a crazy uh, sort of press conference, well, not even a press conference, Harry Redknapp was driving out of the training ground, Weinstein's his window, and a journalist just starts spouting names at him. You know, Giuseppe Rossi, uh, Diego Forlan, Charlie Adam. And to everyone, we end up saying, oh, yeah, great player, great player. Yeah, you know, I'd love to, oh, he's a quality player, but I'm not sure we'll be able to do that one. And, you know, just, <laughs> it was just open season. And you thought, well, you know, that's a bit crazy. But that actually seemed to be Spurs' um, tactic on deadline day. They were just putting in bids left, right, and centre um, for random players. And none of them came off in the end. But it, I mean, it did work for them in the summer, obviously, with the the signing uh, of Van der Vaart. Van der Vaart, which has turned out to be the bargain of the, yeah. the season. When you look at some of the money that's been splashed, yeah, it's, it's it's somewhat scattergun, but it can it can work. And the the other one that I was interested in was that they they, they made a bid for Phil Neville, and all the papers have been talking about Spurs putting in three million bids or whatever for Neville. It turns out they bid two and a half two two hundred fifty thousand, and then tried again with half a million, which as which David Moyes quite rightly condemned as derisory. Yeah. So Charlie Adam sticking around at Blackpool, but likely to be signed by a bigger club yeah, in the summer. I, you'd think. I must say, I was somewhat. Uh, disgusted by Adam he handed a transfer request all he wanted to do was get away from Blackpool doesn't get his move scores a goal on Wednesday night and immediately starts fist kissing pump, the badge kissing yeah. the badge you know fist pumping the badges if he, you know, he's always been Blackpool through and through yeah. a little bit low but uh, just rounding up the transfer news, uh, Blackpool also signing James Beattie from uh, Scotland. Yeah. Which uh, is an interesting one, his yeah, return to English football. I honestly football. thought he'd do well in Scotland. Um, he scored goals pretty much wherever he's been in, in the Premiership. He had a, not the best time at Everton, but he did all right at Stoke before falling out with uh, a naked Tony Poulos. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, when he went up to Scotland, I thought he'd, I thought he'd bang him in, but he's, it's not really worked out for the Rangers. And I think I think he'll make a contribution to Black Blackpool. I don't think he'll start games necessarily. But he came on him as a bit of a handful the other night. Um, but yeah, that, that'll be a decent sign. The other the other ones to mention: Danny Sturridge uh, from Chelsea to Bolton, who scored on his debut. Yeah, hilarious um, goal. Yeah, awful back pass from Wolves. Um, and so that was that was a decent sign. I thought. And Darren Bent again in the goals for for, for Villa, although yeah. albeit through a defeat. So let, let's actually move on while we're there uh, onto onto the midweek games. And uh, two clubs who did nothing on deadline day are <laughs> beloved, well, your beloved Arsenal, my beloved Everton, yeah. locked horns at the Emirates. They did indeed, and what a game it was. Steeped in controversy. Yeah. Uh, the fixture's not been without its controversy in the past. Um, there's been a few heated moments in exchanges. But, yeah. I mean, in recent years, I hate to say it from your po- point of view, but Arsenal have, have, have come out the better against Everton, you'd yeah, say. Yeah, normally. And Wednesday was an interesting, an interesting night, I think. Everton, the fans are certainly not happy at the moment because of the lack of money being spent, the lack of signings and, and sub subpar performances against poorer teams. Yeah, we have been raising our games, uh, our game against the better teams, and Wednesday was another. Sorry, Tuesday was it was another example of that. Yeah, um, and took the lead at the Emirates, and <laughs> very interesting circumstances. It was indeed. I mean, you, you as a listener, you've probably seen this one already. I'm sure you have, uh, but a, a hugely controversial goal. Mm-hmm which opened up all sorts of questions once again about the offside, about uh, whether you're 
first phase, second phase, whatever phase. But to me, Chris, the bottom line is that Louis Saha stepped off into an offside position. The ball's been played through. He is offside. Koscielny's, the ball's touched Koscielny. It's span off him into Saha's pass. Uh, Saha, to be fair, has played on and a really accomplished finish into the corner. Um, you know, and that's what you want your, your, your strikers to do, just to play on until Stick you hear the whistle. Stick it in and ask questions later. Um, but... Uh, Quite rightly, I think the uh, Arsenal players questioned the linesman uh, and the referee's decision to to allow the goal. I mean, what what are your thoughts on it? Looked a looked a good goal to me, man. <laughs> Don't know what the fuss is about. <laughs> no, it, it was hilariously offside. Uh, Sahar was holding his run, holding his run, waiting for Coleman to make the pass. He uh, couldn't wait any longer. Sprinted about five yards offside. Coleman eventually tried to dink it over. Yeah. Uh, it was cut half cut out by Koscielny. Yeah. Um, you know, he made a half interception, but th- at the moment the ball was played, whether Koscielny intercepted or not, the flag should have gone up. It didn't. The linesman's uh, cacked himself. Uh, it's fallen to Sar, and he's just for some reason been known only to the linesman. He kept his flag down. Yeah. Um, it's just interesting. Yeah, it was definitely offside. Yeah. But as you as I say. Sahar did exactly the right thing. He did. He played to the whistle. There was no whistle. He stuck it in the back of the net and uh, got away with it. And uh, Arsenal have been in well, have been in in mixed form recent in recent weeks. Really, we've we've found it tough against some lower league opposition in the cup mm. competitions. Come through those games, and sort of an hour into this game, you were really frustrating us once again. You you look set to pull off a, a, a you know an away victory, which would yeah. be a good three points I, for you. I must admit, I uh, I didn't actually watch the game live. I, I watched it. I blacked out for the for the evening uh, to watch it on football first later. So I didn't know what was happening, what was going to happen as I was watching the highlights. Yeah. But my sense was as the second half wore on that we were getting deeper and deeper and just inviting that pressure yeah. from Arsenal. Yeah. And for me, the equaliser was inevitable and once the equaliser came the winner was inevitable yeah. um, it was just a shame the way the equaliser came it was a bit of a mistake by by young Jack Rodwell it just sort of headed it yeah, into no man's land he, really. he read the pass got up to head of it but he just completely miscued his head straight into the path of Barsharvin who needed a goal to be he fair he did and yeah. it, was a, it was an accomplished finish again. yeah nice it was a finish good volley. but once that happened I just felt the, the tide was with Arsenal the, I think in a way the, the way Everton's goal went in um, didn't help us because the Arsenal fans really got on the back of the referee and created, yeah. created quite an atmosphere. And so it, you know, it really felt like the whole world was against Everton and um, poor marking from the from the set piece for the second goal. Yeah, you've got to be disappointed from, from with that d- defender. Yeah, player. again, it looked like Rodwell and, and this time Heitinger got a little bit mixed up with each other. We, we, we go for zonal marking on corners and the two of them seem to sort of go to the same zone and Koscielny had a free header six yards out and that was only ever going to be one outcome there. But an Arsenal home win against Everton isn't, you know, that unusual. But the thing that I think we want to focus on in this game is is some of the sort of afters and some of the attitude from, well, really from the Arsenal players. I know you you've got quite uh, wound up, perhaps rightly so, about some of Fabregas's <clears throat> well, conduct. Well, Fabregas has got a bit of history with Everton. Um, he's supposed to be great mates with uh, Mikel Arteta. Both as Spaniards, got, obviously. Yeah, but he's got a funny way of showing it. A couple of seasons ago at Goodison, he got Arteta sent off by shamelessly play acting. <laughs> When he claimed Arteta had elbowed in the face when he'd done nothing of the sort. Wow. Um, well, it certainly wasn't deliberate. But he got his mate sent off, basically. Uh, and this time at Arsenal, uh, the first half, Arteta broke away innocuously in midfield and was launching a counter-attack. He was a good three or four yards clear of, of Fabregas. He played a nice pass. And after the ball had been played, Fabregas shamelessly and very deliberately raked his studs down the back of uh, Arteta's uh, leg, down his Achilles and calf, which uh, anyone who's had that done to them will know it's extremely painful. 
and just very very cynical he knew the referee wasn't looking he didn't even get a, a foul given against him um, and you could just see that there was a little bit of needle there and then after the game of course uh, David Moyes came out on very uh, in no uncertain terms criticised Fabregas for comments he made to the referee in the tunnel uh, it's emerged from an unnamed Everton player that uh, apparently Fabregas was accusing the referee of being bribed by Everton of being an, an effing this and effing that and a cheat and all this sort of stuff the sort of sort of stuff that isn't you know, you really can't say to a referee. Yeah. Interestingly enough, though, Wenger, who doesn't often see anything, uh, came out and said that Fabregas had said no such thing to the referee and, and accused um, Moyes, really, of being a liar. So. I cannot understand what would be in it for Moyes to make this up. Um, you know, why why would you bother to make something like that up? He's he's not a sore loser, Moyes, normally. He's not someone who would go out to make trouble. Um you know, obviously, I'm biased on this one, but I really can't see why Moyes would make allegations like that without some, without some, um, you know, some substance to it. Very interesting. Wenger's immediate reaction was quite a knowing look of saying, "Well, you know, show me the videotape." Obviously, knowing that there's no videotape available of the incident, and and so he can easily take a stance of defending this player, knowing that there'll be no, that you know, it's basically his word yeah, against. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not news to anyone that players get. Uh, wound up in in the course of a game that they say things that they wouldn't say otherwise Uh, and you know I'm sure that Fabregas did and in my opinion quite rightly probably lose his temper with the referee and the assistant for you know what really was atrocious officiating in that first half for that decision but I'm not excusing his behaviour and actually interestingly watching Fabregas's conduct in the last few games he's just been courting uh, sort of danger really uh, you know he said some made some remarks against Ipswich uh, accused them of playing rugby uh, he said similar things actually uh, and his wouldn't uh, swap shirts in the Huddersfield match mm. so I you know I'd, I wonder what's got into him really you know he's a, to my mind he's a better player than that he doesn't need to lower himself to that he's a competitor he's the captain he you know he's got a right to have a voice for the team but I, f- I don't like to see it personally in, in football no I- Frankly, he's being a bit of a penis at the moment. <laughs> I, I don't know if it's I don't know if it's sort of um, hangover from not getting his dream move to Barcelona or what, but he, he, he's acting a bit <laughs> like a bit of a spoiled brat. Um, it's you know he seems to think Arsenal have got this divine right to get decisions going their way and to win oh, games and uh, you know his, his actions on Wednesday, even on the pitch, sorry Tuesday, that were on the camera were bad enough, and it really wouldn't surprise me if, if what Moyes is saying is true. I mean. What I liked, actually looking at it from a positive perspective, what Arsenal have been accused of in previous years is not having that metal, not having that bit of bottle, that bit of know-how, uh, as they did when Patrick Vieira and Petit were bossing that midfield. So, you know, if if they're, they're starting to play a bit more of this attritional game, uh, perhaps being a bit more uh, direct, a bit more forth, forthright with their challenges, then... You know, it's not a bad thing for them to toughen up. But as I said, I, I personally don't like the attitude that goes along with that. So it sounds like you're suggesting that for Arsenal to win the title, they need to act like penises. <laughs> Would I be right? Not at all. I just think <laughs> I just think they need to toughen up a little bit. Maybe. Um, but but uh, you know, they're still you know they're still right in that championship race. I mean, they are. Yeah. Um, you know, United. They uh, won't win it though, Mark. Well, I'm not going to make that prediction yet. No. We'll, We'll wait and see, but I am. They're not going to win it. <laughs> but United, <laughs> United and Chelsea are looking looking strong. Obviously, there were there was a full uh, schedule of fixtures over that midweek period. Um, United pick, picked up a win with Wayne Rooney looking in, in good form. Yeah, good to see Rooney back from a, a footballing perspective. You know, forget about his character for a moment. It's great to see to see Wayne Rooney playing good football. 
He's a very exciting player to watch. And he's he really not looked like the player he could be since around about the time of the World Cup. Yeah. Um, it was a lovely, lovely touch Both of his goals were very, goal. very, very instinctive. Um, very, very well taken. And the sort of finishes that, you know, he can do, which other people can't. Yeah. Um, and I thought, good for him, you know, to finally get some form back. And for United as well, again, it's ominous signs for everyone else that if Berbatov ain't scoring, then really yeah. will. And... Um, yeah, very comprehensive performance for United against Aston Villa. The game was over really from the moment Rooney scored at the start, yeah. and yeah, Bent's goal was really a consolation. Yeah, and again, a nice really finish by uh, Darren Bent, but um, yeah, routine, yeah, routine for United. Uh, as far as Chelsea go, obviously boosted um, by those new arrivals, and they went to Sunderland, who of course had uh, humiliated Chelsea at the, the uh, Stamford Bridge yeah. early in the season, three 0 and this time Chelsea, uh, despite going behind. And did a did a good job and it got a four two win. Yeah, thrilling game though. Cracking game. Um, yeah. But uh, Chelsea are only going to get stronger as the as the the season progresses. Well, that's I, I it. Think. Obviously, Torres and Luis weren't involved on on uh, Tuesday night, but they'll have them coming in for. But certainly, Torres sounds like he's going to play against Liverpool, which is going to be yeah. a hugely exciting game. Um, but yeah, really good win for them. The only and Spurs got a win as well at Blackburn. Um, but the the only the only side in that sort of top four or five that faltered. Uh, the other night was Man City. It was. I mean, they're they're finding it difficult really to close out victories. And yeah. Uh, once again, they uh, they failed to get the three points. Took the lead twice at Birmingham, um, and uh, Birmingham twice ped them back. Ziggich and a penalty from uh, Craig Gardner. Uh, again, Jacko looking pretty decent. Tevez uh, looking good, and finally Kolarov uh, sticking one of those free kicks away that he's been threatening to do. But yeah, as, as you say, just just not closing out the victories. And uh, they they actually employed a, a different. Formation on the, on that midweek game as well, which uh, didn't didn't seem to work in the end. Sort of well, sticking they, two up front. They were without Yaya Torre, which probably had, a, had some bearing on the on the on the team they put out. Um, but yeah, Jeco and Tevez were were employed up front, and I, th- I do think that they'll be a good partnership. But they've just recently started to leak goals, which they weren't doing at the start of the season. You know that a lot of their wins at the start of the season were based on well, on the draws as well. Actually, were based on on solid defence. And that's just started to go on the way in recently. They're scoring more goals, but they're conceding more as well. And that 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 was that that draw, I think, will hurt them. And this is the period of the season with so many games coming in such a short space of time, where where you know the champions are made really. And, and United have been there; they've done it before, and they've picked up you know win after win. Mm. And uh, you know they they really are outperforming their their city neighbours. Yeah. And. Uh, City really adrift now. You know they're they're eight points uh, adrift, yeah. having played a game more than yeah. United you, as well. You, I, I really do think that that defeat, sorry, that draw uh, hurt, hurt them a lot. They've still got to play United, of course, but uh, United have got a tricky little run now. In the next six games, they do play uh, Chelsea, Liverpool, and City. Mm. Um, so potentially they could actually wrap the title up with these six games, or they could find themselves sucked right back into it. Um, it's going to be going to be interesting to run. The other end of the table, uh, West Ham. Uh, made some good deadline day moves, including yeah. Robbie Keane, who scored again, who scored on mm-hmm. his debut, and that was a really good win for them at Blackpool. Uh, Wigan and uh, West Brom got a point that neither of them really wanted uh, mm-hmm. to all draw between them two, and uh, Wolves' heartbreaking last minute defeat to Bolton with a, uh, a horrendous back pass. How many times has that happened this se- this season as well? Wolves been competing in games and and not picking up any I, points. I, I really do think Wolves are better than some of the sides around them but they just keep uh, just not getting results when they need them and, and they're in real trouble now they're bottom now um, they do have a game in hand which could take them to level on points with 17th place Birmingham but 
I fear for Wolves now because they, 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 that many times this season now they've um, they've failed to turn good performances into points. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that that really wraps up our uh, our roundup of the the football news this week. Uh, well, oh, just to mention the Liverpool game as well. Mm. Sorry, uh, as we said mentioned before, I think Liverpool's luck is turning. Mm-hmm. Um, they beat Stoke with two somewhat jammy goals. The first one was a, a free kick, which Gerard tried to smash from forty five yards. <laughs> Hit about four players in the penalty <laughs> before bouncing to Marius, who, who tucked it away well. And then Suarez got a debut goal, but it was a. It's bordering on an own goal, wasn't we it? We rounded the keeper and then didn't put anywhere near enough pace on the ball. And it looked like Andy Wilkinson was going to cut it out quite easily, but he slid it in off the post. So, you know, two kind of lucky goals, which Liverpool, the sort of goals Liverpool weren't scoring at the start of the season. And yeah. on, the, on the dog lease, things just seem to be turning their way a little bit. So, yeah. they've got a, a, a tricky game this weekend, though. Um, they are away. Um, at Chelsea, of course. So, you know, and facing their old, their old uh, idol in Fernando Torres, Torres yeah. kisses the badge in his chest and hands in a transfer request. Absolutely, absolutely. And our own two clubs, Everton at home to Blackpool, which you'll be hoping for three points. You've got to oh, get three points. It there, is yeah. the sort of game we have been messing up all season. Mm. I, I cannot tell you how many times we've gone into games where we thought, right, this is it. Get a win on the board against a simple opposition, yeah. um, and we keep messing up. If we actually beat Blackpool, we'll go above them. Yeah, um, and we'll go level on points potentially with tenth. But um, yeah. I, I really wouldn't like to predict it because we just don't seem to be able to convert these easy games into wins. Yeah, and Arsenal heading up to the northeast to face Newcastle, uh, obviously without uh, without Carroll now. So uh, Sola Amiobi. Uh, well, he got he limped off. Well. Yeah, he limped off for uh, for Newcastle. So Niall Ranger, this is your moment, and uh, and obviously yeah. Coventry's ex uh, striker as well, Leon, um, Best, Leon yeah. Best, who uh, who has done all right. You'd, ex- you'd expect uh, Arsenal to, to go and get a result there. I think so. We'll I think so. So, and, and actually, the, the final uh, football uh, news of note was uh, uh, Gary Neville announcing his retirement from football with immediate effect. Yeah, I, I wonder if it's a case of um, Ferguson basically saying to Neville, "Listen, you've not been performing no. anywhere like anywhere like you used to. Your legs are gone." I've got John O'Shea, I've got Wes Brown, I've got Raphael and Fabio who can all play ahead of you. Yeah. Um, you your chances are limited. It's either look for a move or, or, or jack it in, mate. Yeah. And Neville, I think, knows when enough's enough. Well, other, well, actually, if he did, he would have gone a year ago. But yeah. um, I think I do think he'll go into into broadcasting and be pretty good at it. But fan, stellar career from Neville. He's yeah. been the best right back in England apart from the last couple of seasons for a long time yeah over he's, 600 he's, appearances for Manchester United yeah, 83 he's, caps he's, he's won everything in the club game he's made a hell of a lot, of, a lot for England um, and uh, you know as, from all that you can say about him being a, a dislikable um, teenage mustachio <laughs> with little pillock uh, he's been a fantastic servant for club and country and yeah, um, yeah nothing but praise for the guy yeah, and, I, and the sky's the limit now for him Ah, I see what you've done there, Mark. Very clever. It'd be funny if it goes to ESPN now, though. Yeah, it would. It wouldn't <laughs> quite work. Moving on then from association football, let's turn to the uh, North American version of the ah, game. yeah. It's the big one. Uh, Super Bowl forty-five mm-hmm. uh, coming up this weekend. Uh, Pittsburgh Steelers against the Packers. Uh, Sunday night, you know, whether regardless of whether you're into American football or not, if there's one sport and event that anyone into sports should watch every year. It's a Super Bowl. Absolutely. It's an amazing spectacle. Um, you know, obviously it's top class uh, American football action. It's you know, the two best teams of the season going at it, hammer and tongs. Um, and, you know, 
unlike stuff like the FA Cup final, Champions League final, these games tend to be classics. You know, you get yeah. some really, really good games. Yeah. So um, talk us through perhaps both of the, the sides' uh, chances. Obviously, yeah. the Steelers, they're six-time winners of, of the Super Bowl, so mm-hmm. they've got the pedigree. They've probably got the edge, have they, in terms of yeah, the history? They've got, they've got a good side, and, and a lot of the players in the team have, were part of the 2009 success and even the 2006 success. Uh, certainly, uh, Ben Roethlisberger, the quarterback, was, was, was in place for both of those games. Um, Mike Tomlin, the coach, uh, was certainly in charge of them in 2009. Um, so they've got a really good nucleus, and they've, so they've got players who know who know how to win Super Bowls, um, and they'll go into that, you know, with the experience behind them. Um, Green Bay Packers have only won one Super Bowl uh, in their history. That was it back in Super Bowl 31, about 1996-97. Brett Favre was the helm at the helm there, of course, mm-hmm. um, and of course Mike McCarthy not won a Super Bowl yet. Their coach, um, however, they do have the best quarterback going into this game in Aaron Rodgers um, it's a tough one to call both both sides uh, are very very good both sides of the ball um, as I say I think uh, certainly the Packers are superior in the quarterback uh, department um, and I would probably say the Steelers are superior defensively um, it's going to be a, a massive showdown and you know the fans in Texas will be uh Treated to a cracking game, I think. But I, I predicted last week that the Steelers would win it. I'm still going to stick with that. But I would love uh, the Green Bay Packers to put one over on the Steelers yeah. because I think it would mean more to them. You know, they've only won that one Super Bowl. Um, the Favre era is gone now. Um, Aaron Rodgers has really shown his, his credentials this year, and I'll, I'll be rooting for the Packers. But I do think the Steelers will do it. And as a as a sort of a, a TV experience, what do you think makes it special? Uh, compared to say watching the FA it's, Cup final, it's it's the glitz and the glamour that go into it. Um, tickets for the Super Bowl start at six hundred dollars normally and go up to whatever amount you can think of in yeah. your head. Yeah. Um, and the advertising, the advertising, the same, as it? I said last week, two and a half million mm. for a thir- two and a half million dollars for a thirty second slot <laughs> of advertising, and the effort that goes into the adverts is incredible. Um, you know, the whole week leading up to the Super Bowl is a media fest, basically. Yeah. Um, you know the players are put out for interview every single day. There's just a scrum for interviews and sound bites all week. Um, halftime show is basically like a concert for 15 minutes. The the, the scale of that is superb. Although unfortunately it's the Black Eyed Peas this year. <laughs> um, the whole thing is just an incredible spectacle. The effort, the money, the time that goes into it. it it's it's opulent. Yeah. But you never thought you'd hear that word. Hear that word on our podcast. Um, and as I say, the action, the action itself is gem- generally very, very good as well. So uh, the game is uh, it'd be sometime after eleven o'clock. It'll be getting underway on Sunday night. It's on Sky as usual, but also no excuses to miss out on this because it's on the BBC as well. And on Five Live, I believe as well. Yeah, yeah, but don't listen to it, please. Watch it, watch <laughs> it, watch it, watch it. Even if you have to uh, stick it on uh, on record and watch it the next day, it is worth watching. It's a huge spectacle. Get your mates around, get some nachos and have some hot dogs and enjoy uh, a cracking game. And you think it's going to be a, a high-scoring game, Chris, or, or is it going to be what, sort of an attritional, low-scoring, you know, edgy encounter? Um, I, would, I would suspect, I think both teams have got uh, as I say, excellent defenses. You, you know, defenses who can score points with takeaways and interceptions and stuff. Um, and both sides are good enough offensively to run up some points. I don't think it'll be a shootout. I think it'll be. I would. I would guess something like twenty odd to seventeen or something for one side to do that. I, I, I say I'll go with. I'll go with the Steelers. I'll go twenty seventeen to the Steelers. Excellent. That's a confident and precise well, prediction. We'll see. We'll see. But I, 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 fan, I fancy Aaron Rodgers is too good not to score any touchdowns. And Roethlisberger and his 
defence are too good not to put some points up as well. So, yeah, I think a couple of touchdowns each and settled off field goals. Great. Well, we look forward to that one on Sunday. Yeah, I'll give a shout-out again to my mate Eki, who I know will be biting his nails uh, sitting <laughs> on the couch watching that one. A big Packers fan and a good luck to him. Great. So, let's move on. Uh, the other sporting event that's kicking off uh, tomorrow night, that's Friday night, is uh, Wales versus England uh, in the Six, Six Nations, Nations opening encounter. So that'll be a packed Millennium Stadium in Cardiff uh, tomorrow tomorrow evening. I'm, I'm really glad that's a Friday night game. I think, I think I'll add a little something, you know, a, a night game under the floodlights. Yeah. Um, good way to start the weekend for a lot of people. I think a lot of people will be having uh, sort of parties and evenings to, to watch that together. Um, I think that'll be a cracking game. Yeah, I mean, Cardiff, you can't beat it for a match day atmosphere. Oh, that's incredible. You know, the city uh, is a great city and the, and the stadium's right in the heart of that city. So, uh, you know, I can speak from experience having been for, for games there before and, you know, you, you, you build up in, in the pubs mm. beforehand and just in the streets is just uh, epic. Uh, and, uh, you know, Wales will really want to make that quite an intimidating atmosphere for England on Friday night. I mean, personally, I think it's going to be quite a tight close encounter both sides are missing a couple of key players through injury mm. uh, Courtney Law is missing for England which is a shame because he's one of these players who broke through in the yeah. autumn tests um, but but he's not around um, and, so and a new captain for England there, there is yeah I mean Mike Tyndall has, has stepped into the role previously but uh, a bit controversial pick from Martin Johnson to pick him over Nick Easter who's sort of the leader of that pack but Tyndall, uh, you know, speaking as a Gloucester fan, has been up there for, for years. You know what you get with him. He's a very laid-back character, which is probably different from Jono himself when mm. he was leading the side. But, you know, Tyndall knows the game inside out. He uh, wears his heart on the sleeve when he's, when he's playing. And, and, you know, he's, he's a big tackler. And, you know, that, I think that's, that's going to be important when it comes down to defending some of Wales's attacking wide play on, on Friday evening. And your mate Simpson Daniel didn't make it? He didn't. He's been picked for the England Saxons team, and he he scored two tries in their comfortable victory over Italy last weekend. Yeah. Um, he he's just got to keep knocking on the door. I mean, he's been hugely uh, unlucky with injuries over the years when he's been picked for the side and then had to drop out because mm. he's picked up just yet another injury. But um, you know, all he can do is keep playing well in the domestic game and hope that he's still on on Johnson's radar for that World Cup squad. Uh, the World Cup, obviously, uh, in New Zealand later in the year. Um, so, what do, you, what do you see as being the sort of the key to a victory for either side? Is there a particular matchup that you think will? Yeah, well, I think I think you know the game is going to be uh, one up front. You know, both packs are quite uh, evenly matched. I think England will have the edge in the scrum, but Wales will probably have the edge in the lineout. Uh, but I think it's going to come down to uh, if either of those packs can get the ball to their to their scrum half. So. Mike Phillips will be playing number nine for Wales, and he's you know what you get with him. He's a uh, very tall mm. uh, scrum half, and and you know he's uh, got potential to perform even if that Welsh pack isn't isn't perhaps performing to the the, the greatest uh, ability. But he, he'll still be able to pull something out of the bag. Um, and then opposite him is Ben Youngs, the Leicester uh, scrum half, who's uh, you know making this England number nine spot his own. Uh, he's playing really well for Leicester, but he's got the luxury there of playing in, in front of uh, behind a pack that are performing really well. And if England just uh, get a little bit overawed by uh, by the experience, by the occasion, yeah. um, then you know he could struggle. He's still he's still learning the game really. But I think that's where uh, that's where the game will be won and lost. Uh, I'm going to say that I think England have got the potential. They've got the side. They've got uh, to win this encounter, but. You can never tell going to uh, to Cardiff. They, they're going to make it, as I said, a, a really cauldron-like atmosphere. 
but I'm going to stick my neck out and say that England will triumph in a, uh, a high-scoring, entertaining encounter. Good stuff. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. I'm, I'm, uh, Six Nations does normally get me uh, into my rugby, and uh, I think it's going to be a cracking tournament. And as I say, I think really good idea to start on a Friday night. I think yeah. That's a, a really, yeah, yeah. I think night having sport at night adds a certain something. It does uh, under the lights and all that stuff. So. It does. And then on the Saturday following, uh, obviously the Wales England game, France. Uh, host Scotland in yeah, Paris. Bl- no, in the last show, I think you mentioned that you thought Scotland might be uh, un- sort of underdog shouts for the, t- the whole tournament. Well, yeah, I mean, Scotland played pretty well in the autumn tests and they're a side that have, again, got real potential. Um, and this would be a real statement uh, if they were to begin the, the tournament by taking the scalp of, of France, who didn't have the best of times in, in their autumn internationals. But France, obviously, the reigning champions... Um, in front of the home crowd, you never know what you're going to get with the French side. They pick, you know, the the coach picks a different squad for each Six Nations. There doesn't seem to be any consistency. He, you know, picks players seemingly at random, and yet they they still uh, have the potential again to mm. to to be brilliant. But equally, uh, you know, Scotland could really get into them. And uh, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Although it would be a, a bit of a um, a surprise. Well, I'm saying I wouldn't be surprised, but it would be a surprise. Does that make sense? I think so. Yeah, not yeah. really. If Scotland pulled off a victory there, but I, I can only see one outcome in the other game of the weekend: Italy uh, hosting uh, Ireland. Ireland. I was uh, in Rome last year at the Flamenco Stadium, I think it is, um, to watch Italy play uh, um, Scotland, where they they got a victory. And, uh, you know, it's a fantastic stadium. It's only a small stadium, but it's open. It'll be sunny in Rome. It's a great day out. Uh, a great weekend, Chris, if you want to take the missus for a nice romantic... <laughs> trip uh, to the rugby. Yeah. ...visit to, the, to Rome, to the rugby. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think Ireland will be strong enough. Um, yeah. um, you know, Johnny Sexton's in great form, and, and their backs will uh, be too strong for Italy, I think. Yep, good stuff. Um, it should be a really good weekend. On that. It'd be hard to read too much into uh, into the Six Nations from this weekend. I think I think we'll uh, we'll know more after the second or third week. But yeah. certainly for England, it's a huge test to go to to go to the London Stadium on a it Friday is. night. But yeah. uh, I I I would I I expect France to beat Scotland personally, and as you say, Ireland to beat Italy. And I to be honest, I think I'm going to plump for Wales over England. But okay. I, you know more than me. <laughs> uh, so that's your predictions, I think, for the week uh, with the uh, the Six Nations. I've gone for the Steelers to win the Super Bowl 2017. Um, if I'm going to make another prediction, um, my last transfer deadline, um, transfer uh, based scoring prediction was that Darren Bent was scoring his debut yep. uh, for Aston Villa. I'm going to make a similar prediction regarding one Fernando Torres. Really? You think he's going to bag one? I just think Torres himself says it's his destiny to do it. <laughs> um, I don't back any of the Liverpool defenders to uh, necessarily handle him all that well. I think they'll have, they'll be if they you know they'll be worrying about Drogba as well. Yeah. I think the space will open up for Torres, even if he only comes on as, as a sub. It's the sort of thing that happens in football, um, and I could just see Fernando Torres uh, sticking one in against Liverpool um, and breaking their hearts uh, once again. Um, I certainly hope so. I'm going to also predict. I think, uh, and I know this happened uh, already early in the season, but I think Gerard is uh, going to find himself in the spot of, of bother again. I think sending off. I think so. Yeah. Wow. Oh no, that's another I don't, ball prediction. Uh, I don't know. I, 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 I thought he'd learn his lesson after the uh, United, United game. United game. I think there'll be a bit. I, I certainly think if uh, if Torres does start, you can expect to see Jamie Carragher picking up an early booking for uh, trying to break him into. But um, <laughs> I, 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 that's going to be a really good game. That um, I expect Chelsea to win. 
Um, but Liverpool will give it a damn good go, and uh, we'll see what happens. Um, be interesting to see what team Liverpool, what team Liverpool put out. Uh, Suarez on the bench for the uh, the game against Stoke. He hadn't trained with the squad there, had he? No, and, I think, and you'd, you'd think they'd stick him in this time because so. without him, it's Cow or Ungargo front. So because Carroll's out for a little while, so you, you you've got to think if they've got any intention of getting a result at Chelsea, that they'll go with Suarez. Yeah, but that would be a good game. So yeah, my prediction is Torres to score. Your prediction is Gerrard to be sent off. Gerrard to be sent off. Um, and so. Without further ado, Mark, on to the final part of the show, our plays of the week. The plays of the week, yeah. Obviously, for those of you that haven't, uh, obviously, I've said it now, I'm getting yeah, into the, we've the spirit been all, of things. We've been happening all the way through, through the show. <laughs> the, the plays of the week feature basically uh, is a chance for us to share with you some of the top sporting moments of the week gone by. Um, we've got one uh, this week from tennis and two from football. Yeah. One a little bit strange because it's not actually not from actually a football a game, match. Yeah. Uh, but pretty extraordinary. We'll come to that one. Nevertheless, but let's start off with the the first one. So, as we mentioned previously, Novak Djokovic took on Andy Murray in the final of the Australian Open, and uh, the play of the week comes from the first set, which was going with serve. It was four yeah. three to Murray at this point. Uh, Djokovic was serving in the eighth game of of the first set, mm. uh, and uh, it was quite an extraordinary rally, Chris. Um, yeah, it was one of the, we talked about that that um, is the Mahout game earlier in the year at Wimbledon, which was was a lengthy match. But this was a lengthy point. It mm. was thirty nine shot rally, uh, and the two of them just putting everything into it. And um, you know, the ball was all over the court. They were covering every every inch of it, and um, neither of them could find the breakthrough. And eventually, I think probably more through through tiredness and everything yeah. else. Unfortunately, Murray. Uh, slammed his shot into the net, but just just seeing how uh, shattered they both were at the end of the point, they were both completely yeah. out of breath. You, know, you don't realize just how much you know uh, it takes it out of the players to have that many shots in a row. And and I think I think that, that the length of that point and the fact that Djokovic won it was perhaps an early sign that it was going to start going his way in, in that match. Um, Certainly psychologically, um, you know, Djokovic. That people say that Murray chases the ball down very well and is quick around court, mm. but. Djokovic takes it to another level. He doesn't give up on anything. No. And, you know, he had some incredible uh, saving shots where he just lobbed the ball up uh, for Murray and, and yeah. managed to managed to carry on. Well, that was it. In this, in this rally, again, there's a, there's a moment where you think that Djokovic is out of it and he just, just gets some sort of hopeful return in. But it, it, his, even his defensive shots, you know, required Murray to run around a bit and get something back to him. And, yeah, it was just a really, a, a very long rally. Unfortunately, ended in a, in a, a mistake for Murray. But, um Worth seeing because it was just two players, you know, the top of the game, really, really going for it in a in a, in a big final, and uh, yeah, it was a, a really good, really good moment of action. Yeah, so uh, that's uh, Andy Murray, a uh, thirty-nine shot rally against Djokovic. Yeah, the second play comes from La Liga, and uh, and amazingly, not from Barcelona Real Madrid. This is uh, Giuseppe Rossi. Uh, one of 145,000 players that uh, Tottenham <laughs> put a bid in for a transfer deadline. Day. And obviously a player that used to be at uh, Old Trafford. Absolutely, yeah, for, for a Manchester United player. Now playing playing his trade uh, at Villarreal. And this comes from their game against Espanyol over the weekend. Yeah, um, talk us through this one. Yeah, he's, he's sort of on the left-hand side, uh, ball over the top to him, which he chases down that left-hand channel. And uh, as he drives into the penalty area, he's running out of time and space. He's it's gone very wide. Yeah, he's he's sort of adjacent to the six-yard box, probably just past the six-yard box, with no angle at all to do anything other than cross the ball. But he looks up and with his left foot, just absolutely leathers the ball. 
near post. He spanks top it. Top corner, yeah, absolutely spanked. It stayed hit, Mark. And uh, the goalkeeper... <laughs> Broke the net. Sometimes uh, goalkeepers get criticised when they get beaten at the near post, but honestly, the, f- the ferocity on this ball, I don't think the keeper would have seen it. Um, and no. just ridiculous strike, completely out of the blue. And a cracking goal from Giuseppe, Giuseppe Rossi. Yeah, so... Uh... That's uh, Rossi in La Liga, as we mentioned. So, uh, as we as we said before, you can check out all of these plays on on our blog. Yeah, um, we've now sort of coordinated our blog for the podcast on the the new website. So, if you go to www.essentialsportspodcast.co.uk, you'll find the podcast and all the uh, plays that go with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we've got the final play of the week just to run through before we wrap up for this evening. So this one's from uh, Brazil, one of Brazil's most skillful players of all time, Ronaldinho, who has just started playing back in yep, Brazil. Yeah, for Flamengo. I think he scored, didn't he, on his, uh, his his previous outing. He's got his first goal for the club. Yeah, and and this 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 bit of action is not actually from a game, so it's a bit bit odd for our players of the week. But it's just Ronaldinho doing what he does best and just messing around with the football and. Uh, the uh, the moment comes from a training session. He's standing mm. uh, a good ten or fifteen yards behind the goal it, yeah. and to the left, and uh, a player's just rolling the ball to Ronaldinho's feet, and he's he's hitting the ball up and over the net with so much backspin that it actually ends up in the goal. So he's scoring a goal from behind the goal, which is incredible in itself. Um, and he has a couple of goes at it and doesn't quite get it right. In the third go, he uh, nails it. But then the uh, second video, it's a sort of t- double header. as mm. uh, another player, this time indoors. It's a guy called Falcao. And uh, he basically is replicating Ronaldinho's trick He's indoors. He's a futsal star, isn't he? Exactly, yeah. And he, uh, he does it once, sort of Ronaldinho style. And then again, he does it a second time with... Uh, do you know that... I think it's called a Rabona. When you, you kick the ball uh, with your right foot, but kick it sort Go of over the, yeah, behind yeah. your left leg, yeah. as it were. So he does Ronaldinho's kick of scoring from behind the goal, but with a Rabona, and yeah. it's uh, it's uh, not really, a David Dunn. That's called no, that that's called falling on your ass. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, just just uh, just a bit of fun. Uh, Unbelievable fun techers, Chris. Unbelievable techers. The sort of stuff that you know me and you do for fun in our living room, but <laughs> we don't always capture it on video, unfortunately. No, no. So yeah, just a bit of fun for our third player of the week. A bit of a uh, bit of trick- trickery and wizardry from Ronaldinho and Falcao. Yeah, so uh, that about wraps it up for another edition of this podcast. Yeah, right? and, and no podcast next week or the week after, is that right, Mark? No, I'm off on my holidays. I've picked a good destination to go. Uh, we're off to Egypt uh, with, with the missus, so uh, hopefully going to try and stay out of trouble. Um, yes, not you, get involved in any revolutions. You, you be careful out there, mate. It's uh, not, not the best place to go at the moment, but fair play to, for giving it a go. So I'll be uh, looking out for some uh, some sporting action over there, but probably be... Uh, stick, sticking to maybe table tennis or uh, a bit of uh, paddling in the in the pool. Yeah, they're not really. Well, they win the African Nations Cup more often, not don't they? But they're they're not massively known for their sporting no. uh, prowess. More haggling. Maybe you can introduce them to something more. Maybe hmm. you can. Uh, maybe you might even get signed if you go for, go for a trial at an Egyptian league club. Or something. Can't wait. You never know. But have a good time, mate. And uh, we'll be back with you, I guess, in about three weeks. Absolutely. So uh, if if you want to keep up with the, the podcast in the meantime, then follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter uh, avatar, as it were, is uh, at Essential Sport. Yeah. And individually, uh, I am Butters11. And I'm Caleb Dory. And as we mentioned before, we've got the website, which is www.essentialsportspodcast.co.uk. But that's enough from us. So good night. Good night.